And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, April 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we are going to discuss the debut of Grayson Rodriguez, which came a bit Quicker than we expected, based mm-hmm. on our conversation from last week's episode. We'll dig into that Texas Rangers team that Rodriguez faced during his big league debut. And we'll close the book on Keith's Arizona trip. He saw a few more prospects since we last spoke, including Ethan Salas, one of the more interesting players in all of the minor I leagues, say, I think, right yes. now. Just based on age. But we begin with the headliner. Grayson Rodriguez, because of an injury to Kyle Bradish, gets a chance to make his debut this week. The final line wasn't bad, Keith, but you got to watch mm-hmm. this one. Uh, I'm curious what your takeaways were. Grayson Rodriguez in his debut versus previous opportunities you've had to get eyes on him. How did he look in that first start? Yeah, and it was uh, Bias Cat has opinions too, clearly. Uh, he wasn't great. And this was, it's funny, when Elias announced that they were sending him down, he made a lot of the sort of fluffy criticisms that you often make of a player you're sending down without a great necessarily a great reason to send him down. But he did mention the slider not being very good for Rodriguez. And I think that was pretty clear yesterday. It was extremely inconsistent. There were a bunch that he was just babying. You could see him just coming way out front, almost like to just praying to get some kind of break or tilt on the pitch. And that's actually been true for Rodriguez since he came back last fall from the lat injury, not in the big leagues. Um, but if you watched any of his minor league tune-ups where they ended up deciding not to bring him up, you know, I, I think a lot of folks felt like, well, they weren't really in the race by that, by the very end. What was the point of putting him on the roster that soon? That's probably why. Now I'm wondering, is it, I mean, maybe they're just a little concerned about where the breaking ball is, which is not to say it's a disaster. I'm not trying to, you know, say that he's, oh, Grayson Rodriguez is Terrible. He's not a starter or not a prospect. I'm not saying anything like that, but that ties to what Elias, Mike Elias said when they sent him down in the first place. Because Rodriguez's fastball will play and it plays up because he's got a really, really good changeup. But his breaking stuff's been a question for a while now. And a lot of scouts who I've talked to have also seen him, especially in the last oh, two years. And I'm referring to before the lat injury from last year and then back into 21 questioned what was the ultimate ceiling here because of the lack of a clearly above average breaking pitch. He throws both a curve and a slider and um, the curveball is just more kind of a get me over pitch that he only think he threw something like three in his outing against Texas. He was clearly trying to use the slider as his primary breaking pitch. You'd expect somebody with his kind of arm speed to have a pretty good slider, even if it doesn't have especially high spin. He has a really hard time with that pitch, though, and I don't know what that means for him going forward exactly. Does it lower the ceiling a little bit? Do they have to try to change something in how he's throwing that pitch? Um, or do they just let it go and say, we're just going to have you be you know, 80% or more fastball changeup, and we'll just de-emphasize the breaking stuff and, and hope 
not without reason, that the, those two pitches are in fact good enough for you to be atop of the rotation or, or maybe, you know, I think probably more like a really good number two starter working primarily fastball change. And that's kind of where I came down after yesterday with the folks who've said to me they didn't see number one starter ceiling. I mean, I've had scouts say they think he's more like a number three starter. I'm probably a little more bullish than that, but I could see reasons to argue, hey, without that third pitch, can have a hard time being a true ace, being a top 15 starter in all of baseball at his peak, but he might be a top 30 or 40 starter in baseball of all, at, all, in, at his peak. And that would still be, by the way, a really great outcome for any first round pick. Yeah, I think what's interesting too is we've talked about workload restrictions on Grayson Rodriguez and effort to keep him healthy. And one of the key numbers from that is 83 pitches in his debut, which I think is actually encouraging. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big Good. step in the yes. right direction. 41 of those, I believe, were the four-seamer. He was getting a lot of called strikes and whiffs with the four-seamer. That bodes very well. But yeah, the changeup wasn't as mm-hmm. effective as you would expect. I don't know if they were just looking for it because it's that's the bread-and-butter pitch for him. Like that's, if, that's, if that's the best secondary, hitters are looking for that at the big league level. To me, his appeal, it's that those two pitches work together. And so I would expect over the course of a whole season almost to see those kind of converge where you're getting pretty good both called strike rates and whiff rates on both of those pitches because they work so well together. Like, I don't think his fastball itself has exceptional quality to it. He throws it very hard, obviously, and that's good. But it's the way, the interplay between that and the changeup. And he did not always have that changeup. He certainly didn't have it when they drafted him, too. That is an, an Orioles, that is Orioles player development. They have gotten him from a big kid who threw hard and the expectation was he's actually if you go back to when he was drafted it was big kid who threw hard and he should he should end up with a plus slider he's very much not that and so credit the orioles with the work they've done to get him this change up that has good action it's just really deceptive out of his hand too if you're ever able to catch him a little bit from the hitter's perspective that fastball and change up really do look quite a bit alike and i think that's why you know what this start the majority of those called strikes and those whiffs were on the fastball. Wouldn't surprise me at all if next time around they were on the changeup. And to me, it is it is just a function of what are the hitters, you know, what is the team saying to the hitters? What are you looking for? What's their expectation of their plan? Because those two pitchers are, are going to screw a lot of hitters up. And then the good thing about being that kind of starter too is that can work against both right and left-handed hitters. It's not like a breaking ball where that is just very much against same side hitters. So, which going back to what I was saying a moment ago, it's why I could see him being uh, a very good, you know, a, a, an above average big league starter working primarily with two pitches. You're just hoping for something more. And so you do keep working on the slider. Maybe that maybe he does that in the big leagues. Maybe you do send him back down to AAA for a couple of starts and, and try to get the slider to it's not even a half grade more. If you just took the five best sliders he threw yesterday and said, do that, right? The whole make all your sliders look like that. You'd be fine. He threw a couple where I'm trying to remember who the hitter was, but he backfooted a left-handed batter and it was 84 was 84, at least on game day. And it was like, yeah, do that again. That I want a bunch of those and we're, then we're cooking. And then you're, t- then at least you can entertain the possibility that he's that. I don't want to get too hung up on number one starter, number two starter, but I'm just using it as a shorthand. How high is his ceiling? This guy's a major league starter. He's probably an above average major league starter. Could he be a superstar? Could he be a difference maker? Top guy in a rotation that's going to the playoffs. 
I don't know about that right now. And I think without that breaking wall, he's going to have a hard time getting there. Not impossible, but it, it is a more difficult challenge. But I also saw a couple of sliders yesterday where I thought, mm, if he figures out how to do that consistently, then we're talking about a different guy. Of the Orioles' two best pitching prospects, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, who actually has the higher stealing, ceiling based on stuff? D.L. Hall has better stuff. The man just cannot throw enough strikes. It is crazy to me. Somebody just asked this. I did just a, a reader Q&A today on my own site. And they asked, you know, will D.L. Hall ever be a major league starter? I said, it's maddening that somebody who is that athletic does not throw more strikes. And the delivery is fine. Maybe he's just never going to get it. Maybe it's like Sean Newcomb. Sean Newcomb, it was it was very much in the arm action. And once he got to a certain point, it was, I think most folks realized like, oh, dang it, this guy's never really going to throw enough strikes. But it, Hall doesn't have the same kind of arm action, but he just hasn't, right? All the way up through AAA, a little bit in the majors last year. But he can show you three legitimately plus pitches on the right day. And he's a good athlete. And he, I think he can repeat the delivery. I think he's got a higher ceiling and a way lower chance of getting to it. That is the difference. Whereas Grayson Rodriguez, I'm betting my 401k that that guy's a major league starter. I can't say that about DL Hall, despite the fact that I haven't even given Hall extra credit for being left-handed, but just grading out the stuff and the athleticism saying, yeah, that is everything you want in a pitching prospect. It's just Hall at this point. Yeah, you got to kind of cross that transom now and, and not be a prospect anymore, actually be a big leaguer. So the floor then for DL Hall, realistically, with the stuff he has and the inconsistency, the lack of command is probably filthy reliever. Yeah, right. He's a guy who's walking 13% of batters in relief, but striking out 35%. Yeah, 35 plus. Yeah, right. He might bump 100 from the left side with two legit weapons. And then, I mean, he might be walking more guys than that. I worry about a guy like that. You put him in the bullpen and say, just air it out. No, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's don't do anything different, right? Just pretend you're making a start, but we're only going to use you for 25 pitches. Hey, you think about some of the top end lefty relievers though we've seen in recent years. Josh Hader, you know, I, I think his command coming up as a prospect was pretty inconsistent. Came in, walked about mm -hmm. 12% of the guys he faced as a rookie. It's been better at times, but still inconsistent yeah. during his big league career. And he's been a premier closer. So I, I think that's still that's a profile that can work. A lot can still go right. I think the key difference for me is the Orioles still have enough of a pressing need on the starter side. They are rightfully continuing down the path with him as a starter for now with DL Hall. I think that makes all the sense in the world. And he's been hurt. It's a back issue. It's not an arm issue. But man, that they need him out making starts too because for evaluation purposes, for development purposes, there will be opportunities for him. He could easily make 15 plus starts for the team, for the major league team this year. Obviously, that doesn't happen if he ends up missing a month or more and they have to build him back up. And it's not supposed to be a long-term injury, but this really hurts, no pun intended, for him to be hurt, injured right now at a point where he would be expected to contribute in some role to the major league club. Maybe he comes up and works mop-up, works long relief, so they're not using a position player, for example, where he comes in, hey, you're going to face 10 batters, and if you walk three, it's fine, right? We're down 10 to four. And we just want to have you soak up some innings and get some practice and get some work, get some reps and, and get some work with our major league coaching staff, too. I think if I were calling the shots, I'd want him to be in the bullpen working mostly on days that Dean Kramer pitches. Because I look at Dean Kramer, I'm like, that's probably the weak link in the rotation right now. Mm -hmm. Have him stretched out on the same schedule. If it's going well with D.L. Hall, flip him. Dean Kramer becomes mm -hmm. your multi-inning reliever. D.L. Hall becomes one of your back-end starters who's 
making his way up. But yeah, health, of course, is key. Looking back at this debut, it was good overall, I think, given the way it started for Grayson Rodriguez. I just noticed that Jacob deGrom had 25 swing and misses in that start. He He's in full-on absurd mode right now. I wondered, as I was watching, I actually had a point where I thought to myself, I need to stop watching DeGrom's half innings. Because <laughs> who looks good next to him? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a tough assignment for the debut. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez had a little trouble in the first, settled down pretty nicely for a big league debut, I thought, from that point on. Uh, but let's talk about this Rangers team for a bit, because they they spent a lot of money. They are getting a lot better. They are much more watchable than they've been in the last five years now. I, I will actually tune into Rangers games to watch them and not to just watch someone else. That It's not like an Otani thing, right? The Rangers were right. previously just kind of flying by on my TV only if Shohei Otani was playing them. If they had a series against the Angels, I was in. What do you make of this roster? You, you, you can't throw money at a problem and just completely become a playoff team just by spending your way out of the issues that you have. But they did have a young core of talent coming through their system, and some of those players are, are graduating at the right time. Josh Young, with all the injuries, finally healthy now, has that third base job locked down. They spent the money on Seager and Simeon. Adelis Garcia looks like a good find. They bring in DeGrom. Nate Lowe looks like a pretty solid everyday first baseman. Like This is a team that's at least going to hang around throughout the summer and, and threaten for a wild card, isn't it? What are you talking about? They're four and two. They're going to the playoffs. Well, they're locked in now. Obviously. They're going to win, they're going to win two-thirds of their games this year. They've, they've flipped the script. They've taken over Texas. They have passed the Astros. Yes, they've even passed the Cowboys. Who knew? Most popular team in town. Te- All right, this is just getting ridiculous at this point. I agree. That's an interesting... And certainly not a bad roster by any means, but definitely a flawed one, right? This is a team. It's actually funny. I thought like they're, I I definitely expected them to be among the league leaders in strikeouts, even just so far. They're not there yet. Wouldn't surprise me if they ended up in the top, say, three or four in the league for strikeouts. It's early going. Obviously, there are only a few strikeouts behind the difference between them. What are they in? I just pulled it up. They're in 11th in the league. And the team that's in fourth is five strikeouts for the whole season. So it's, I don't mean to imply there's some huge difference. But they're a team that's not going to get on base at a great clip relative to the league, and they are going to strike out a lot. Um, and that, to me, is going to be ultimately the most likely thing that keeps them from being a playoff team. But if the pitching staff stays healthy, I could also see them hanging around long enough to say they they contended for a playoff spot for most of the year. And if they're going to and they fall, they're probably going to fall short. But it would be the most interesting and compelling Rangers team for Rangers fans, at least in, what, 10 years? Close yeah. to it? Yeah, since their last while. Yeah, it's been quite a few years. Who's got the better five-year outlook? Rangers or the Angels? Rangers. Yeah, by far, right? That is by far. Look, the problem with the Angels is who owns them, right? It doesn't matter who's actually running baseball ops. Doesn't appear to. Doesn't, doesn't matter how much star power they have. Doesn't matter. And, and of course, as people will talk about throughout the year, this could very well be Shohei Otani's last year in Anaheim. Well, it should be, right? Why? A, why would he go back? B, they're, if they're not in a playoff position on July 31st, he should be traded. I mean, they should have traded him already. I understand there's a financial argument why they kept him. However, there was a pretty good baseball argument to have traded him three months ago. And... The Rangers have a much better farm system, a deeper farm system, and a more top-heavy, like a better top level of the farm system 
than the Angels have. I like the Rangers major league roster more. I could see one argument, which is that the Rangers could end up in more of a financial, more of a roster crunch. None of these owners is actually lacking for cash. Right? The Rangers have invested a lot of money in some long-term contracts, and I could certainly see them getting to a point where they've got too much money invested in too many older players. And while that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play those guys, it does inhibit their ability to work in some of these younger players. Okay, sure. I will acknowledge and accept that argument is valid. That's about the only thing that I think the Angels have over the Rangers at this point. I would take the Rangers in pretty much every other way, except maybe for star power. Yeah, right. You know, the top end watchability. Which doesn't get if, you anywhere. That's a thing. No, no. Clearly, clearly it's not it does enough. not get you the playoffs. Nope. You can't use that Tried alone that. and uh, and get there. The Angels have been proving that to us for a, a long time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Let's get back to your Arizona trip for a bit. You saw who I had described as the most interesting prospect in maybe all the minor league baseball, Ethan Salas, a very young catcher in the Padres organization, Keith. What did you see? Or why is Ethan Salas so impressive? For folks who don't know, he was the, I believe he got the top bonus this January among international free agents. Padres signed him. He is the younger brother of Jose Salas, who's the on my rankings, the number five prospect in the twin system, which just traded for the Marlins to the twins in the Luis Arias trade. And Salas is 16, and he will still be 16. He actually turned 17 the day I turned 50 in June. He is the first player I have ever scouted who is younger than my daughter. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. So that got me. And I actually sent her a picture and said, oh, here's his birth date. And it's it's only about two weeks difference. She goes, well, he's not that much younger. I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> like the perspective of the teenage mind, just never mind. Sorry, I brought it up. <laughs> I mean, Padres folks were pretty jazzed about Salas even before the official signing. You know, once it was clear, I just, you know, they had him. Let's just say they were strongly expected to be the team that signed him when it on the official signing day. And I can see why this is not your ordinary 16 year old prospect. In fact, I got to compare him pretty closely. Apples to apples, just walking from the Padres fields backfields over to the Mariners backfields and seeing the Mariners top prospect signed this January. Felmin Celesten, who is, um, he might be 17 already. He's not that much older than Salas is, but it was night and day across the board. I mean, Salas looks like a highly polished Southern California high school kid who'd be 18, right? He's not that it's not that he's so big, but it's that he's got an idea at the plate. He was laying off pitches that are two or three inches out of the strike zone. He has very good bat control. He's 
athletic, but very well coordinated for, especially for 16 at this point. And he catches extremely well. I saw him catch Joe Musgrove in a five inning inter-squad game as Musgrove was rehabbing and even got to hear just snippets of the two of them talking as they walked off and Musgrove giving Salas advice on how to catch certain pitches and hearing Salas absorb this stuff. That is so unusual. That would be unusual for to see an 18-year-old who was basically right out of high school look like that, carry himself like that, move like that. I mean, that might be the biggest thing. We're just watching Salas move around between innings and thinking, "There's, I have, I'm not sure I've ever seen a 16-year-old move around like that. Now, granted, I don't see a ton of 16-year-olds because it's an underclassman on the high school level, but it did bring me back to seeing Bryce Harper at 15. Now, Harper was bigger and stronger. And when Harper hit the ball, you knew it about a mile around. But also Harper just moved and carried himself like an older player. It actually got some people on him because they were like thought he was kind of acting above his age or above his his level. It was no, he was actually just that good. And I think Salas is that good. I think Salas is a superstar. We, he's got to go out and hit. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. He's probably going to stay in extended spring, go to the Arizona Rookie League. I would be really surprised if he doesn't at least get to low a like elsinore by the end of this year where he'd be a true 17 year old he'd be one of the youngest players in the league and that puts him on a path that can get him to the big leagues before he turns 20 which would be pretty remarkable that's pud rodriguez territory right he debuted when he was Mm -hmm. 19 back in 1991 and you think about the player pudge was i mean that's the sort of projection you probably have in the the pie in the sky range for salas you're talking about a guy that almost certainly ends up as a top 10, top 20 overall prospect as he starts to move through the minors? If he does what I think he's going to do this year, he's a top 25 prospect at this time next year. That is, he's a catcher. He's a no-doubt catcher who catches well, who can really throw where he's supposed to have an advanced feel for his age. Almost everything I say is for his age, for his age, for his age. But an advanced feel for game calling, for working with pitchers. And I think he's going to hit. And I don't care if he hits for any power at all this year. He's going to get to some power. If he shows he can hit, shows he can control the strike zone, if he doesn't go out and punch out a third of the time in the ACL this summer, yeah, that is a top, that, that'll be the Padres' top prospect. He'll be top 20 or 25 in all of baseball. I, mean, I don't do this very much, right? I'm usually just saying pump the brakes. Most of these super hyped guys don't turn out, right? They, they often turn out to be very good, but they don't turn out to be the superstars. Harper was one. Strasburg was one. Once we got Trout, Trout was in the AZL, as it was called at the time, as a true 17-year-old right after he was drafted. And it was pretty clear he was the real deal. We don't see a lot of those guys. Salas is one. So I think back when you had your top 20 prospect series coming out for this year, the Padres dropped from, I want to say it was 15th to 24th is what you had written in there. So they, they dropped a lot from last year mm-hmm. to this year, right? That's going to happen when you trade for Juan Soto. How long do you think it's going to take them to realistically at least push themselves back into the range of, if they're not a top 10 organization in terms of their their prospects, how long is it going to take them to get back to the top half of the league again, given the way they scout and given the way they they develop players? Every team gets to draft this summer. We can always say, well, if they have a good draft this year, they're in the same situation as everybody, and they don't draft very high this time around. So even... Setting that aside, though, they add Salas to the system because I did not count any of the international free agents who just signed in January for a variety of reasons we've probably even discussed before. But the very short answer is that the information on those guys is limited and usually out of date. So 
he's now part of the system and he's going to play within, you know, obviously we've seen him play in spring training within two months or so, two and a half months. We'll have actual game results for him too. They also took two Tommy John guys in last year's draft. Dylan Lesko, who was their first round pick, who was probably going to go in the top five or six picks um, until he blew out. He was a high school pitcher, which listeners to this podcast, folks who read my work, know what I think of high school pitchers in the draft. He's not a high school pitcher anymore, right? He's just a 19-year-old in pro ball. And he threw what I believe was his first side session on Saturday morning. And he was basically just fastball changeup at that point, just, just beginning to come back. But he's healthy. And they took Henry Williams, uh, who was a was at Duke and was uh, had premium stuff. He was probably also trending towards the first round and then ended up blowing out the fall of his draft year, the fall of his junior year. So he is not, um, he was on a little bit different timetable. He threw an inning, uh, it was actually the day before I saw Salas with Musgrove. It doesn't matter. It was that week. And Williams still had the high ride on the fastball. The velocity wasn't all the way back. He still had the plus change up. Uh, it was just one inning as he's tuning up. But you're adding two pretty good arms to that system now who weren't there, weren't in the system um, a year ago and who, as of when I did the rankings, had not actually returned yet. They were still essentially out with Tommy John. And I just always mentally discount those guys a pretty significant amount until we get them back on a mound and see where they are, because there are plenty of guys who come back. Somebody asked about Gunnar Hogland, who's with the A's now. And you know what? His stuff came back at about 90% of what it was beforehand. It's probably never coming back anymore. And so you have to adjust your expectations accordingly. If Lesko and Williams do come back at 100%, it's two pretty good arms the Padres have added to their system, plus Salas. That probably bumps them right up into the top 20 before anything else happens. It's also possible AJ Preller will trade everybody <laughs> by the time we get to the deadline this year and they'll be ranked 29th. Keep going. Keep throwing chips in for this year. Got to win. What else are you going to upgrade? I guess you can try and upgrade center field. Trent Grisham, even if he bounces back, that's a spot that's maybe a little weaker. Behind the plate, you get someone to bridge the gap to Salas. A DH? Like There's, there's just not much you need in San Diego because you've already traded for everything. I guess back-end starters? Darvish, Musgrove, Snell, you don't have to rely on Michael Waka and Nick Martinez as much if you get another starter. That that would be the move. I, if I had to guess what A.J. Preller would do for another big move, it's another starter and maybe someone they could also have beyond this season. Bullpen? I, never, you never always hurts. do? Yeah, it never hurts to add right? to the bullpen. But their, their bullpen's not bad. It, no, right? But it's that someone's going to get hurt, right? Someone's going to underperform. It's just that's how bullpens are. You know, that's one where I might almost rather just go get a rental for a lower level prospect. You don't want to be in a situation like Dave Dombrowski, who gave up uh, not necessarily prospects, but probably too much major league value to get Gregory Soto this winter to bank on a guy who to bank on Soto being a quality reliever for multiple years going forward, which is probably a pretty, pretty big risk. I would almost rather say, look, well, here's here's some fringe prospect from outside our top 20 to go get you 20 more 20, 25 innings in the second half of the season just to try to patch. I don't know. I agree with you. They're a little bit of a tricky roster to talk about upgrading because they have because they've already done it, right? They've already made so many of those investments through trade and free agency. Loaded as they are currently built. Uh, some other players you saw while you were in Arizona, I think Mason Miller is pretty interesting for the A's, right? Look at this pile of pitching prospects. I mean, not literally. They just have a bunch of guys that 
you look at and you say, maybe if this happens, maybe if this happens, you'll get to this level. Mason Miller might have the best stuff of anybody that we're talking about in the A's system right now. But it's just a question of, of health. Is that it? Or is there a command issue there to be worried about, too? To me, it's just health. He threw, what, seven innings last year in the regular season and pitched some more in the fall league. I saw him again. It was 97 to 100 again. Um, it's a plus slider. might be better than a plus slider. It's, I mean, he manhandled Jordan Lawler, and Jordan Lawler does not look bad against many pitchers at all. If Mason Miller is healthy, I mean, he's probably the great argument for the old Gary Huckabee line. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Just bring him up, right? Is he healthy? Is he good? Is he throwing enough strikes? Just bring him up. If he's that good, he should probably just be doing it in the big leagues before he breaks, which is a callous way to think about Mm -hmm. using pitchers, but also not inaccurate. And yeah, in Miller's case, I mean, the problem is the A's aren't playing for anything this year, but I also don't know what value Miller is providing to them in the minors. I mean, they might actually be better off bringing Miller up, whether it's to start or relieve. And then if some team wants to trade for him to boost their own bullpen, just knowing how fragile Miller has been. Yeah, I understand he'd be a rookie to have umpteen years of control remaining, et cetera, et cetera. But if I could trade that guy for a decent everyday player prospect or rookie, I do that all the time, right? There is no question. Miller could go, could blow at any second. You are just, you are on borrowed time with him. I mean, I saw, I have now seen him twice in the last six or seven months, and it is absolutely absurd. And he's going to miss a lot of bats. If you put him in a major league bullpen right now, he would miss a lot of bats. Given the age, he's going to turn 25 in August. I don't know what you really would be waiting for if you're the A's. And Mm -hmm. if you're looking at ceiling, you should be developing for ceiling, not for floor. And if it bumps somebody else, if it bumps JP Sears or someone along those lines out of a starting role for a little while, that's not a big deal. See what you got with Mason Miller. Try to max out what you can bring to the table with him. He he threw 30.2 innings total last year, regular season and fall league, and was ridiculous. He punched out 45 guys in those innings. It's just, and it was a shoulder issue. So you were really on borrowed time with him. And I mean, credit the A's. They did a great job. He was a fifth year, you know, super senior, whatever they're calling those guys. Took him in the third round in 2021. He will be a big leaguer and he will pitch. I My prediction is he will pitch very well as long as he's healthy. But I also could see the A's saying, we want a longer term property here. And having, even if he is an elite reliever, what good is that on a team that's going to lose 100 games? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. 
So we've got uh, prospect graduations happening now and in the near future. A lot of players, young guys piling up a ton of plate appearances. So there's going to be some changes mm-hmm. on top 100 lists. I know you don't have yours as like a living document on the site where people can watch it. Thank constantly. God. <laughs> you sure you don't want to do that? Yes, I'm sure. Stop <laughs> it. So who's the new number one once you start to graduate? A couple of the guys who are either falling off the list in the near future who have recently fallen off the list. I think Gunnar Henderson is no longer eligible and Corbin Carroll is about to get there. Did Henderson just break it? Yeah. He's out. He's dead to me. Like Fredo. Not a prospect anymore. No. (laughs) Yep. Uh, He has two at-bats, right? He's two over. I think Carroll will get there at the end of the week, right? This is like morbidly fascinating watching these guys disqualify. Actually, he could get there in his next game. He's at 127 at-bats, so four more, and he's off. And so the... I mean, the answer is Jackson Churio. That would just be the answer if simply by default, because he was third. Also, he is that guy. I I have I am very comfortable with him being the number one prospect in baseball. The only other guy I think I'd be considering at this point would be Ellie De La Cruz, who's hurt anyway. Not that the hurt, not that that really impacts him for the long term at all. Um, but there's no argument that he would have leapfrogged Jackson Churio just based on spring training. And um, actually, they haven't even played yet. As we're talking, they're going to, these guys will make their season debut. Well, Churio will make his season debut tonight for Double A Biloxi, which is going to be a really, really fun team to watch. But I saw Churio the last two nights I was in Arizona. So I was doing two or three games each day. I think I did three games each of the last two days, um, just bouncing from site to site. And Churio, the last two at bats I got from him were 3 0 homer the other way and then a triple off the center field wall that probably would have been inside the parker except the umpire got in his running path running in lane and they could have sent him home i mean whatever it's minor league spring training game nobody really cares that much but they um i mean it's one of those you just watch those couple of swings watch him run watch him go get it in center field and you just walk out saying i'm good and he's 19 right that is that's what the best prospect in baseball looks like. It's like Ronald Acuna Jr. When I saw him, not his first year, but the uh, not the year where he raced up through all the minors, but right after that, I think it was the following spring. Like, yep, that's what they look like. The elite guys who are, who are doing a little bit of everything, and there's some explosiveness, and there's some upside, but there's also some present feel, ability to go the other way, ability to pick up different pitch types. I, you know, Churio's going to need the year in the minors. I don't. I am not projecting him to get to the big leagues right away. Also, they have about eight center fielders ahead of him on the depth chart, so they don't really need it. But you know, he may swing and miss a little bit too much. He's going to do a lot of damage on balls and play. But I wouldn't be surprised if the swing and miss rates were a little higher than you'd like them to be, and he'll bring them down over time. I guess as he starts in Double A, by the midpoint of the year, he's in Triple A. Maybe he debuts in September, but they don't really need him to. I, I don't know that there's a situation where they feel like they have to call him up. And they may choose not to just for roster reasons, because, again, they have plenty of other center field options ahead of him for the short term. Yeah, we're seeing Garrett Mitchell and Joey Weimer collect the playing time out there right now. And if you are mm-hmm. a Brewers fan, you're feeling really good about the way things have started because the young players that are getting opportunities are contributing. Bryce Terang having a great opening week as well. And again, I emphasize nice week. See. It's, yep. it's nice to see young players having success right away. Uh, something that, that Britt threw out there on the last episode was that because the minor league players are used to the pitch clock and some of those those rule tweaks that are new to the big league level, 
she was wondering if maybe the adjustments won't be quite as harsh because they're they're comfortable with the speed of the game already. It's not going to make the competition easier. It's just going to make it a mm-hmm. little more familiar than it would have been in past years when there was a difference. I look at it as minor leaguers figured out the pitch clock pretty quickly. If big leaguers can't figure it out just as quickly, shame on them. Like these guys, college players and minor leaguers, have had no real problems with the pitch clock. I don't see very many violations each year. I didn't last year, either at the collegiate level or at the minor league level. And major leaguers who are whining that they can't adjust to this need to just zip it. Right? There, there's no get in the box already. Nobody came to see you watch with mess, watch you mess with your batting gloves. Nobody came to see you throw eight times over to first base either. Just like nobody came to watch you ump. I'm here for the baseball. My argument with the pitch clock all along, in addition to the fact that it just gets me home sooner, which I really appreciate, or it gets back to the hotel sooner, which is also not a bad thing, is that I'm getting the same amount of baseball in less time. That is a higher concentration of baseball. I want this. Yeah. Right? I want maximum strength baseball. And that's what I'm getting now. Right. It's a triple shot of baseball instead of a, a single Absolutely. shot. Why wouldn't you want yeah. that? I was going to say straight into my veins, but maybe that's not the analogy you were going for. I was going a little more PG, but um, hey, okay, you know, that's fair. where we try to live on, on this podcast. But the Brewers are pretty interesting because as a team that's had a lot of success at the big league level in recent years, they've been drafting late. At one point, they had one of the worst systems in baseball, and it wasn't that long they ago. Did. And it seems like they've turned it around with a pretty wide range of prospects, too. I mean, you think about Churio as an international guy in 2021, Sal Freelich as a college guy that they drafted last year. Uh, Weimer was from the 2020 draft. Garrett Mitchell, I think, was the 2020 draft as well. It, it's a, it's some college guys, it's some international, it's some the D2 guys they've been pulling in over the years. Like they, they seem like they're they're doing something a little bit different, or they're doing things at a level that is a lot higher than they have throughout most of their history. This is a this is a franchise. This is a bad franchise historically that has kind of reached this new sustained level of success. And I think a lot of people were worried that. Once this current window closed with the big leaguers they have now, that they would fall off a cliff again. It doesn't necessarily look like that's going to happen right now. So how did they do this? Oh, I don't think the cliff is coming. Um, Yeah, I don't love seeing Corbin Burns get off to this start that he's gotten off to. But in general, I think their core is pretty strong and young. And they've done it through, I think, primarily through the draft. More than anything else, they've hit on the draft. But they've also made some pretty shrewd trades. They picked up Willie Adamas, and the Rays don't come out on the wrong end of a lot of trades. They might have in that particular case. The Brewers inserted themselves into the Sean Murphy trade and maybe walked out with the most valuable player of all, and William Contreras certainly did very well for themselves getting involved in that. And then Churio was the best of – they had two years where they went in pretty hard in the international free agent market under the previous system where you were kind of incentivized to do that, to pick a particular year, go spend as much of your money as you could, and then end up in the penalty box for two years after that. And that group, no one's going to touch Churio, but they're going to get some other big leaguers out of that class as well. It remains to be seen exactly which ones. I did see Felix Valerio pretty good. Um, I think he was a very low dollar signing, probably because he's my height. Um, But they've got some other prospect in the system who came through international free agency who are also good, who are just lagging behind chronologically than some of these draft guys. But they've kind of done a little bit of everything. And that's what the that's what good small market clubs, low payroll clubs, I should say, have to do. You really have to hit on all three of those things. You know, the one thing I would say that has held the Rays back a bit is that they have not drafted as well as they should. 
Um, and that this goes back probably 15 years, honestly, since Andrew Friedman took over and they became a model franchise in so many different ways, they've underperformed as a draft, this drafting team. Um, and that is probably the one thing they've obviously had a ton of success for a lot of other reasons. But if you could say anything's held them back, it would be that particular thing. And then I, I think you look at this Dodgers team where no, they've uh, sorry, not this Dodgers team. <laughs> Thinking of other very well-run franchises looking at this Brewers team, right? Uh, Mitchell came in through the draft. Uh, Weimer came through the draft. Terang was a first rounder. Um, Sal Freelich is going to be up sooner rather than later. I think he's, uh, he was a first rounder. Burns, Wynn Woodruff were also drafts. They've done a really, really solid job um, with, especially with high picks. I feel like if you are a low payroll team, you kind of can't miss on too many of those high picks. And the Brewers have done, I think, a very good job. Going back now, multiple scouting directors too, where they've hit on a lot of those high selections. And just looking at the the Rays draft history, since you, you brought this up, their first rounders, and I think this includes supplemental first rounders too, going back the last decade or so, it's starting 2021, Cooper Kinney, Carson Williams, maybe too early <laughs> to, to fully grade them, but yeah, and he's, I've seen Kenny. He's not very good. This is a brutal list. I'll run through the names. Nick Bitsko, yeah, that was yeah, 2020. Yeah. Greg Jones was 2019. Matthew Libertor, 2018, they traded him, which mm-hmm. kind of gives you an idea how they out. felt about him. And maybe yeah, it worked out for him. They got a good return. Brendan McKay got hurt. I don't know if that was a bad mm-hmm. pick. That was the earliest they've picked in any of these by far. I will defend that pick. They took the right guy. He got hurt. There were two ways for him to be right, and he got hurt badly enough where it hasn't worked out on either side. Yeah, it's it is that is to me one of the sadder prospect stories there's been in terms of a guy with a, a tremendous amount of ability who is probably just never going to get to show it. Josh Lowe in 2016, who had a nice week. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's happening like now. Yeah, years years later, but um, maybe. Yeah. Garrett Whitley yeah. back in 2015. Yep, never panned out. Casey Gillespie, Ryan Stanek. I mean, he's still he a, big a big reliever. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, so this you go back a long way. This Blake Snell was way back in 2011. Blake Snell's easily yep. their best first rounder. Yeah, going all the way back. Yeah, that one ever. year was it 10 or 11 when they had a bunch of they had like seven picks in the first 77 and almost totally whiffed. Yeah, I think they was with I don't know if it was the Snell draft or it was the year before, but they had one of those where it's like how how do you? It reminds me of the Monty Python sketch where they you never you don't see the the guy tied up, but you see the firing squad and he goes, you know, aim for John Cleese, ready, aim, fire. You hear the, the fusillade of, of bullets and then Cleese just goes, how could you miss? <laughs> yeah, it was 2011. That was the Taylor Guerrero, Mikey Matuk, Jake Hager, Brandon Martin, Tyler Goodell, Jeff Ames, and then Snell. <laughs> they took all those guys before Blake yeah. Snell. Yeah. Brandon Martin is in jail for murder. Oh, Kess Carter, yeah. Grayson Garvin, and James Harris. Those were all, I think, top 60 picks. Oh, my God. That is so many shots and, and not getting Oh, I it. remember people laughing at the Ames pick, not to get too far down the the rabbit hole there. But every year there's, you know, and sometimes those guys work out, too, to be completely fair. Like when the Red Sox took Nick York, there was a lot of snickering, too. Oh, yeah. So, and, you know, right now that looks like Nick York's going to be a big leaguer. I don't know exactly what, but he will be a big leaguer. But the Ames thing was... My God, they took a high school pitcher without a breaking ball that high. And then they turned around and took Snell after him, which, I mean, good job getting Snell. Also, if you knew what Snell was, you probably would have taken him a little bit sooner. Yeah. 
But all this is to say, it's surprising that the Rays drafted like this for so long and have had the level of success that they've had. But that speaks to all the other things that they've done so well during that timetable. Imagine if they were drafting well on top of all that. Right. Yes. I mean, they've probably done as much in trades than as well in trades as I don't know if I'd say any every club, but they're in the, the you know if you put them in tiers, they do as well in trades as as any of their peers do. Like they are comparable to any of the best. Um, nice God, I saw Curtis meet again in spring training. So I can't believe you get that guy for Chris Sanchez. But they there's a scout identified him on a backfield. I think they had some history of him as an international free agent. Scout saw him in a backfield with the Phillies when he was still a Gulf Coast League guy. And when the Phillies called, they had the they had not just the info, um, both the scouting report and the data, but they had the process that got that information to the decision maker too, to say, we want Curtis Mead. And the Phillies probably didn't quite know what they had in Mead and said yes. That seems to be one of their biggest strengths, seeing a lot of the potential in other teams' organizations and bringing that in. Yeah. Um, one of the first round picks they did have recently, Shane McClanahan. I don't know why. I was looking at the Wikipedia page for the Tampa Bay Rays first round picks. They've omitted Shane McClanahan for some reason. He was the 31st overall pick in the yeah, 20s. He was an extra draft. pick for, um, oh, God, I think that was when they walked away from Drew Rasmussen because they drafted him, who ended up, who's with the Rays now, too, ironically. But they drafted him out of Oregon State. Gave him his post draft physical and found out he'd retorn the ligament. Mm. He'd come back. Pat Casey worked him really hard right back off Tommy John. He blew out again. Shocker. And so, for technical reasons, the Rays were able to simply walk away and get the pick back the next year. I believe that's how they got McClanahan. Yeah, but McClanahan, a massive hit in the first round. But uh, that is a, a huge win. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They did a hell of a job on that one. It's funny. They took him, they had two picks. Um, they had they took him at thirty one and they had the next pick. I don't remember the re- <coughs> I don't remember the reason for that, but they took Nick Schnell uh, with the next pick. Who I have to look to see where he is. And oh, yeah, that's not going to work out as well. It's amazing if you go up and down this roster right now, just around every spot. Wander, international free agent, their guy, found him, developed mm-hmm. him, all that. Great. Randy Rosarena, obviously a trade. Jose Siri, a trade. Manny Margot, trade. Isak Paredes, trade. trade. Uh, yep. Brandon Lau would have been a pick they made. That was a fourth, fifth round pick, something like that. Yeah. Yep. Swing change guy. Out Great job by player development. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Yanni Diaz, trade. Christian mm-hmm. Bethencourt, small trade. I think we even laughed sure. at this time last year. I remember laughing at Christian Bethencourt being a big leaguer because he was DHing for the A's. I'm taking the L on that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm we did that. talk about that. It was, what, what are you doing, A's? And then the Rays go out and trade for him, and he's still there a year later. So ha. He's still there. Why I'm sitting here for 400, please. Jeffrey Springs, trade. Drew Rasmussen, trade. Zach Eflin, free agency. Shane Boz, trade. Tyler Glass now, same trade. Really well done, Pirates. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's up Oops. and down the entire roster. Pete Fairbanks, trade. So trade. They, they, got, they have to be number one in trade. They I guess you're right. Yeah, well, they also use the guys, right? They get them. They identify guys, very often guys who are just undervalued by their organizations. And then sometimes make changes, and then they use those guys. They have the luxury, so to speak, of playing time to hand out, to give guys. To put a Jeffrey Springs, who I promise you never appeared on a Keith Law prospect list. <laughs> And I'm going to guess probably didn't appear on a whole lot of other prospect lists either. Didn't he punch out 12 again the other day? Yeah, it was six no-hit innings, I believe. 
Right. Like there's a part of that that just breaks my brain. Really? Wait, who is this again? Have we met? Like, yes, I know who Jeffrey Springs is. And yet every time I see him do that in a box score, I'm like, really? It's the Rays, man. It's impressive. They do a hell of a job. By the way, them and the Dodgers, I think we talked about some of the Dodgers guys, they, them getting River Ryan in a trade last week. The one thing those two clubs have in common is they have very large scouting staffs. They also have large R&D staffs, but that is true of most clubs. But the Rays and Dodgers did not cut. They still have large pro scouting staffs. They still have at least league average size amateur staffs. Nobody's really cut international because there's not another way to do that. But a lot of clubs decided to eschew pro scouting entirely or to cut it down dramatically. And those are two teams that still have boots on the ground. And they are out. I see guys from those two teams at minor league ballparks and on the backfields in spring training and in fall league every year. That is not a coincidence. And the fact that other teams will not beef up pro scouting to save a couple hundred grand a year when you're talking about a $200 million payroll just blows my mind. Hey, I mean, look at the Angels. They don't want to pay for scouts, right? They don't do that. And they don't want to send their radio crew on the road. They won't even put names on the backs of minor leaguers' uniforms in spring training. They pay which by the I letter? asked another player development guy. He said it might cost about four grand to do that total. For the whole year? If they come to, I, I saw some of their guys at the Rockies complex. I'm like, I don't, unless I recognize someone or ask, you know, ask a coach, who's this? Hey, who's this? Who's this? Who's this? That's not going to be annoying. Right. <laughs> and good if good luck getting a roster. If you have yesterday's roster, it's not valid anymore because three guys got released and this guy just got reassigned, et cetera. Oh, there's two guys wearing the same number. It's it is bonkers to me. Even if you don't need them yourself, don't you want other teams to see your players and say, Hey, we like that guy. We would trade for him. Really? We think he stinks. Well, great, take him. That can't happen if other teams are having a harder time scouting your players. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. The Angels could probably just get some of those 5K running bibs, those pieces of paper with numbers on them. Just, <laughs> just use those. They should totally, some players should just do that with like a Sharpie or something. <laughs> they could probably even it buy them from a race that's already been run. They could just buy the leftover numbers. Yeah. So they, hey, we're saving the environment here, saving money yep. and saving the planet. Look at us. We're yep. green. Yeah. I would do that and put like, he, he hate me on the back of the jersey, right? The original XFL shout out. Wow. Yes. I didn't expect yep. that on today's episode, especially from you, Keith. That was that was impressive. We do deep cuts here. That was that was a that was definitely a B side. We are gonna go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to the Athletic for a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. So if you listen to this podcast and you don't have a subscription and you don't want to pay a dollar a month for the subscription, I guess I, I can't help you. That's like the best deal on content you're going to find on Twitter. Keith is at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. We're back with you on Monday. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.